0: pump your froggers you're beautiful beautiful audience
1: pretty good looking overall yeah
0: not that it's all about looks
1: oh god i hope not no oh yeah we'd be in big trouble hey everyone welcome to don't be an idiom it's the podcast that explores the origin stories of common phrases and uh expressions
0: yeah and it's more fun than just googling it yourself yeah
1: well we you know we do more than google i think yeah so we're we we're... go to
0: the archives
1: what archives the internet archives we
0: go to the archives of like a like a cave library, cave library, yeah,
1: like in an old monastery, yeah, and like,
0: and then the librarian's like, "What would you like?"
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> very slurpy for monastery. Yeah,
0: he's like, he's like a little demon kind of guy.
1: Oh, okay, yeah,
0: cool. this is like a is like
1: dark, yeah, like a creepy, cool. It's
0: where we find like really cool, like antiquated books, like written in blood.
1: All right, so maybe you'll hear some stuff from these books that we've been. So
0: yeah, it's better than
1: Google. <laughs> Uh, so we're broadcasting from just your typical American nightmare um, you know, <laughs> from just <laughs> the most disappointing place to live in the planet Oh right, yeah we hope that this can be an hour of escapism for some of you who who are just just too distressed <laughs> to <laughs> take a single breath it is bleak of, of I don't know relief I mean that's not happening
0: it's funny how it's kind of like I'm um, in uh, office space where you're just like every day is the worst day in America, or like <laughs> right. today is the worst day in America because it's like always worse than the day. It's before. always
1: worse than the previous day. So by the time this comes out, who who even knows how much worse it could be? It could be we might have well, we might be, have to pray before breakfast every day or something. Could be covered in uh, like Agent Orange. Agent Orange.
0: And that would be a welcome relief from this hellhole.
1: <laughs> so we hope that we can provide you with an hour of uh, escapism. We've already started. Um, See, and, you didn't uh, even know. You didn't even know. You already started picturing demon librarian caves. And you've been slapping your knee and saying, I got to tell everyone about this
0: show. Yee-haw, yee-haw, haw
1: so uh, before we get into the idiom origins, we you know we're at, we're at the top of the show. We got some things that we uh, you know we've come upon stuff recently stuff that we, think we should lives. share. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I, I know you had some things you want to tell me. Yeah. On, so, on air, right?
0: Oh, I'll start with the mystery. Sure. Spots? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Katie and I had gone to a, an opening over at the James. Oliver Gallery. So okay. when we I out, checked out the art show, had a little rosé. And then when we were walking back towards South Philly, um, there were these people sitting outside on their stoop and they were like, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> do, do you want a shot? And, we, and I, I was like... Um, I think they were like middle aged people. And I look at Katie expecting her to be like horrified or something yeah. like that. Like, I'm, I, I would have been horrified. I don't yeah, trust I don't want that. <laughs> taking a shot from strangers, right? Yeah. Cause you gotta be safe when you're a girl, especially. especially you know? so, yeah. so I look at her and she's, she, she kind of just, just shrugs and is like, all right. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> hell yes. Yeah. So the dude, he gives us shots and then he's like, you want a beer too? And he gave me a high life. Nice and a smoke. Anyway, so they were wow, great. they were awesome. very, they were very animated. Gracious people.
1: stranger hosts.
0: But the woman was telling me about uh, she was about the people walking around the neighborhood, and she's like, "Oh yeah, just we're just out here watching all the Vinnies and Marias." And I was like, "Hey, oh, wait, the Vinnies and Marias? What, what is that? Is that some sort of like like South Philly <laughs> colloquialism yeah. kind yeah, of it thing, sounds right? like Slang. And she's like, "Yeah, like when we were young, you would always." it's like just kids, people from the neighborhood. It's right. like the South Philly neighborhood kids would be like, ah, oh, there's all the Vinnies and the Marias. Well,
1: especially those, those can be Italian names exactly. too. So exactly, exactly. Like, so it's like, South Philly's very Italian.
0: She basically said it was kind of like a way of saying like your basic neighborhood kid, mm. you know, like kind of like basic bitch, but it's like, yeah. you know, it's a, your basic neighborhood kid.
1: Yeah, okay. And, and so you asked her right there. I yeah, asked her right on the so, spot, oh, good, and she said idea. she
0: grew up in the city, cool. and that's what they used to call it. So I thought that was All right, cool. that's some
1: great slang. Yeah. What else?
0: Um, the other thing that was a surprise was I met a guy the other day. He's actually he's going out with my brother's girlfriend's roommate, right? Okay. So he meets us over at Barcade, and I, I was leaving. And I was like, oh, nice to meet you. And he's like, oh, <laughs> nice to meet you. I'm Jack Shakespeare and i like he look at him, that? and i'm like i give him like what? what are you doing is this a bit or something and i was like your, your last name is shakespeare and he's like yeah i was like all right I'm, I'm sure everyone asks this but you're like not actually related he's like no actually we are like we're descended what? from shakespeare i was like wow that's <laughs> crazy and he's just like this nice clean cut like eagle shirt bro guy like yeah. just no attitude very nice guy right and he's like I was like, wow, that's crazy. I can't wait to tell Ryan. And then he's like, here, if you think that's cool. He's like, my mom's, my maiden name is Columbus. So Columbus married Shakespeare. <laughs> oh, and his mom's a writer.
1: How about that's that? That's kind of like Shakespeare. Okay. Jack, I'm Jack, Jack Shakespeare. Shakespeare. I'm Jack Shakespeare. To be or, or not, not to, to be. be. There's the raw <laughs> Wow, that's an... That's an amazing name. I, yeah. I wonder how strong of a connection that is, uh, the, a familial connection. I wonder, right. how, many, I wonder you know, how
0: many generations deep, right?
1: Yeah. That, that'd that be, I would think that'd be really cool. I thought it was pretty neat. But there's also some high expectations. Yeah. He better, well, you know, be funny and dramatic. He seemed very... Yeah. He better know a lot of allusions to other works of literature.
0: You better always be able to have a skull handy. Mm. To lament <laughs> and lament. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, Jack. Better get a skull.
0: Oh, all the men all up in your Johnson.
1: <laughs> uh, additionally. This is a no-cuts episode, by the way. Yeah, I don't want to make any cuts in this episode. We're doing
0: it live.
1: So we, we're also in Pittsburgh this weekend. Um, my Uncle Mike, who passed away, uh, there was a little memorial concert for him. So we went and hang, hung out with my cousins and my aunt. And um, that was awesome. It was. It's always great they being in are Pittsburgh. The best. They're the best and you know we got our iron city beers and um we stayed at my cousin's house and her husband greg uh, he was talking about his backyard and, and saying something how he's been meaning to like put a deck on it or like a patio or something and he's like oh, but i've been kicking the tires on that and albert and i were like okay, i like sat bolt up
0: i was like <laughs> laying on the couch i was like what <laughs> and then ryan's eyes locked with me and we're like idiom idiom
1: <laughs> so kicking the tires yeah and and i just I've never said it. I mean you do no. imagine when someone's walking around a used car um, parking lot. They're like kicking the tires, yeah. they're like jiggling in the mirror and they're yeah. like, hmm, okay. It's Let such a classic
0: see. move, kicking the tires like
1: any, like you could feel anything. <laughs> like <laughs> Right. It's like nope, these aren't flat at all. I can feel it right through my
0: wingtips.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um and uh so so yeah and essentially kicking the tires on something it's just it's like to stall to put it off yeah because if you're like you're, if you're roaming the parking lot of of your uh, used car salesman oh god i can't put lot a <laughs> lot <laughs> you know you're just kicking the tires all day long yeah. the salesman's gonna be like what
0: do you got to buy give me your money <laughs> i gotta eat
1: I gotta eat it e- e- gotta e- got eat Takes out an electric guitar Eat, eat, eat Eat, eat, And the the person buying like One moment <laughs> his kick starts kicking the back tire He's <laughs> like you already saw that one So You can kick the tires on anything though people
0: That's great So yeah Greg He's such a He's such a character Sticking it in there like we didn't wouldn't notice You know
1: yeah, he's smooth. He is smooth, a smooth operator. And uh, besides that, I think there was. Oh, you had a really funny phrase that you heard recently. Oh well, actually,
0: so I had said it in front of Ryan recently, and he just seemed like he had never heard it. So you know when someone's like, like a you know like a boss or a coworker or whatever, it could be anyone, and they're like, uh, "So when are we going to uh, clean up this uh, <laughs> break room here?" And it's like. So, my my friend Mike, he, his dad has an expression. If someone ever throws one of those wheeze at you, like, yeah. even though it's not your problem, they're right. making it, you know? So, when are we... Yeah. When are we going to get
1: started on this uh, project here? <laughs>
0: Ooh, I, I hate how that sounds so yeah. much. But uh, anyway, if someone throws... I guess
1: I do that a lot. Like, oh, we should look that up tomorrow. We... <laughs>
0: Well, it's because it's, it, instead of being like you, it's like less. Or I will. yeah. Right. Um, but anyway, so his dad always says, when somebody uses one of those wees, says, what's this wee? You got a mouse in your pocket? Which I thought it's funny because it's like.
1: Me and the mouse me and the are going to get started on the project. We're going to look it up tomorrow. <laughs> when are we going to do my laundry? <laughs> Who's we? Well, me and my mouse and the mouse that lives in my pocket.
0: Whenever you get out of fantasy land, you freak.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's a great one, too. I, I really... That was a joy to hear. That one's
0: from Mike's dad. Line. Thank you, Mike's dad.
1: Thank you, Mike's dad. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, pank you. Well, the next part of the
0: show is when we... Play the game, and I am Albert the Game Master. And I've brought one that I bet you never heard before. It is called Yeti Eats
1: Alien. Never it, heard of Yeti Eats Alien, but it's pretty much the three great words that we relate to. I thought you were gonna say it's pretty much the bane of my existence, it's
0: pretty much sucking the soul of me. I didn't um, say sucking
1: the suck out of me. Ah, uh,
0: that have been better, but. It's just like a card game with a bunch of words on it and you have to try to make up like a funny headline for a newspaper. Great. So we're going to do that and we're going to see who gets the funniest headline. Okay. For the win.
1: Pass them out. Okay.
0: Mine says, my, the combination I came up with is exclusive drunk hero baby daddy. It's not this that good. Drunk hero baby daddy. <laughs> Does
1: nothing. <laughs> that's, and, that's kind of funny. Uh, all right, Ryan. My, mine was a uh, boy toy model attacks doctor dumps.
0: Oh, see, you had a, you know, I needed something like an attacks. He's got to do something. <laughs> he can't just be... A hero baby daddy. What does he do?
1: Yeah, there's, you win. there's no verb in there. No, I know. <laughs> Boy, toy model attacks Dr. Dumps. Some people might say that don't be an idiom is popular, but only big in Japan.
0: Oh, man. Yes. I'm big in Japan. I'm big in Japan.
1: <laughs> I'm big. <bigger>. I'm big <laughs> in Japan. That's a that's a favorite Tom Waits song. It is so cool. Yeah, do you do you know what the expression means? Um, I'm big in
0: Japan. It, to me, it sounds like you're saying like you might not know me, but I'm a big deal somewhere else. Exactly. Right. Like.
1: Yeah, yeah. The expression is commonly used ironically to mean successful in a limited. Potentially comical, oddly specific, or possibly unverifiable way.
0: That's good. That so, covers all the bases. So, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: so we could be like, like you know, don't be in it. We don't have you know, we don't have a whole lot of listeners in America, but. We are big in Japan, Japan, you know. We have a lot of listens in Pakistan, Uh, you know, about like ten thousand a day. So that makes us a pretty big deal.
0: And that is unverifiable. Just gotta have to take our
1: word (laughs) for it. We promise. We've got the data. We're not going to share the data, but we're just going to tell you one of the big takeaways.
0: The lawyers are are motioning no, 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 no. (laughs) Cut it.
1: So, Albert, what is your guess about that? When and where do you think the idiom big in Japan came from? Okay.
0: Okay, so. Yeah. uh, Wow. So, I'm big in Japan. I think that what this could come from is the spice trade? Okay. Because, you know, like, before... That was, like, a big deal when you first were able to get boats to different continents.
1: Yeah, and and when we started tasting Eastern spices for the first time, it would have been... Yeah, like, that was, like... Like, that would change... It changed history, right? right? changes culture, everything.
0: And you like, everyone, every time you see those old things or whatever, they're like, what'd you bring from far away countries? It's like, well, I got jewels and silks and spices. <laughs> yeah, and people like, still a, do that. As a kid, I'm like, the spices, like, that's not really worth anything. But <laughs> but when you think about it, it is like, yeah.
1: you couldn't get tastes. That's crazy, right? Yeah, you probably couldn't get, you know, turmeric or, you know, other ones. Um.
0: <laughs> A jalapeno cheddar.
1: <laughs> yeah, that famous spice from Thailand. Yeah. Jalapeno cheddar.
0: Uh, yeah. Okay, so, cool. So the spice trade. So we're in the spice trade. And
1: so like what what time period is this? Oh, yeah. 1800s? You know. 1700s? I think most
0: people would say the spice trading was big 1600s, around. Yeah, that sounds 1700s. good. 1700s? Dude, I have
1: no clue. But I mean, there was, there, there's still trade between the East and the West. So I mean, it's... All right
0: let's say it's right where it's like all right it's not like totally niche but like you know it's not where it's like it's been done forever it's like it's in in like a golden age of the spice trade let's just say
1: 1830. (laughs) let's say it (laughs) all right so 1830.
0: Uh uh-huh so there was a man named merle mcfree all right Mm Hmm. And he was a spice trader and he you know, he's like and he loved freedom I gotta, fries. Uh, he loved freedom fries and he like he's like, I gotta go to a new continent. I gotta I gotta go somewhere no one else has been before to get some mm-hmm. nice spices, you know? Yeah. So he sets out and there was like only like four continents discovered yet at that point or something.
1: <laughs> In the eighteen <1830s>. thirties. <laughs> yeah, four continents but go up. They, they were
0: pretty sure they were there, but <laughs> On. The Merle McFree was gonna be the first one to go there, mm-hmm. and and like he's like, I don't even care if I'm the first person here. It's not like I'm gonna to try to name it McFree Land or Merle Town or whatever. He's uh-huh. like, I just want to get those dirty, dirty spices, right? So I can you know capitalize on the spice trade. You know? Yeah. So he's at sea for a while, and then he lands in a new land, which is fast forward Japan.
1: Okay. Right. Yeah.
0: And he finds the the spice. It's like a shining golden, you know, at the top of the tower, just mm-hmm. like like levitating almost. Mm. And that is called rice papitra. Whoa. Rice papitra.
1: <laughs> rice papitra. <okay. laughs> yeah.
0: And he's like, Earl, Merle's got to have it. He's got to have it. So, you know, he makes a deal. Yeah. Loses his shirt on it. But uh-huh. he knows he's like gambling that this is going to be. The a big, a big deal. The big right. deal, yeah. He pretty much gives him everything. Yeah. Okay. So this is like, I got to make it. I got to make it. So he, he sails all the way back and it's a long journey and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. But he, he gets back to port and he's, you know, goes down to where they're having like one of those uh, like markets, right? Right. And he puts out the big sign. I got the rice perpetra here, like a hundred dollars. It's mm-hmm. like a, a grain, you know, thinking that it's going to attract like a really high clientele. Yeah. And everyone to know everyone passes him by and whatever. And then he starts like being like, All right, well 50 fifty, fifty dollars a grain. Yeah, just, you know, just <laughs> it out. Mm-hmm. and then like you know, the day goes on and the shadows lengthen. And, and you know, the market closes and he just he looks at him, he's got no sales yeah. at all. And he just starts weeping and this guy, like this well-dressed, like older man with white hair, comes up and he's like, What's your trouble, boy? And he's like The rice papija, it's big in Japan, but not here. Oh. It's not big here.
1: Yeah. So And then that's that,
0: you know, then that old man on. is like, I heard the most tickling tale today, <laughs> honey. You're going to want to repeat this around town. Oh, okay. And then it grows, all and right. it so grows. This
1: kind of became like a market phrase, I yes. guess. If you were involved in the spice trade at spice all, you probably pra- yeah. knew this.
0: Yeah. All right. Because, okay. you know, people from different continents have different tastes. Mm-hmm. You know, why did the taste, why was it so powerful there?
1: Yeah. Great, great guess. Thank it's, you. It's incorrect. But I think I was imaginative. You're Thanks. You're welcome.
0: Were, you, were you able to get there? The, I was, oh, I was, I was there. starting to really see it. I was there. Yeah, okay. I could see everything. Okay, good. You
1: see Merle crossing off the numbers. And yeah, everything.
0: That's a classic cartoon move, you know?
1: So that first definition that I read you, that's like the idiomatic definition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a more specific definition, and this is going to kind of lead me into what I'm going to be talking about today. So it's an expression that can be used to describe Western, especially North American or European musical groups who achieve success in Japan, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily in other parts of the world. All right. So it's very music centered.
0: So I, if you were to ask me, like like I'm on a game show Mm -hmm. and they were going to say like, where do you think this comes from? I, that is what I was really yeah. thinking. It's like this has this like band thing because you hear about like pop stars or, you know, rock and roll music, like whoever, right? Getting big in certain areas. Right, right. Um, so that would have been.
1: If I was trying to play it straight. It just didn't seem like there was a story there.
0: I was just like, I was just thinking like, I, how am I going to make this pop? I need it to zip through. Yeah. I got to, so, too fast. So Rock, and Rock and roll Street was actually, fast. yeah. You're, <laughs> so,
1: so especially as was your second guess, really. In your head, your first one had something to do with thinking
0: I, I was thinking it had something to do with music.
1: Yeah. Well, you're right. And Albert and I saw the new Baz Luhrmann film, Elvis, the oh. other day. Because oh. we love Elvis. Um, we really do. And now we love him more. Uh Poor Elvis. Poor Elvis. The movies. I mean, if you if you like Baz style films, it's an amazing movie. It's such like fun, and it's also so tragic. And Austin Butler is just like amazing.
0: I, uh, me and Ryan were in Pittsburgh at the time, so we were in our hotel, and I, he went to bed a little bit earlier than me. And when I was falling asleep, I was just kept thinking about the movie, and I was like, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm a lot like Elvis. <laughs>
1: Oh my God! (laughs) And I was like, "The audacity! audacity. (laughs) What are
0: you, hi, man?" (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, like it's just... Oh gosh, we should do a whole episode just about the movie.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, check it out, and you'll probably learn maybe for the first time about his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, who's a central character and the narrator of the the movie. And he was Elvis Presley's manager. Basically, he got him his first real record deal, and he was in charge of all of Elvis's merchandising and like specials he would do and the movies he would make mm-hmm. and he had he had a contract to that was basically allowed him 50% of Elvis's earnings and um his enterprise could you imagine
0: being anybody in on the planet except except Elvis and be like hey Elvis let's team up 50/50 right <laughs> uh, 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 like cuz like you he's fucking Elvis
1: yeah and this guy was such a what's the word Al like? He's a swindler. Ooh, he's
0: totally a swindler. I mean, he's he a huckster.
1: Used, he was a carny. He used yeah. to work as a carnival bark, barker, and he, so he knew all the tricks to screw people over. And yeah. he did it with Elvis until Elvis, like through Elvis's death. Oh, so, so really sad. interesting, uh, but maniacal, um, or or I don't know, like maniacal's not the right he word. He was just
0: so selfish and addicted and like yeah. it's just like he just needed to
1: oh so anyway people didn't know anything about him um and it, people eventually did research and came to find that he was this dutch guy who legally left the netherlands and came to america changed his name cha- like illegally changed his citizenship somehow and he called himself tom parker and eventually some governor granted him a colonel colonel ship or whatever because he (sighs) fought for, like, a year or something with the army. Anyway, he eventually, his second time around, he, like, left. He got kicked out. um, And then he was, like, in a psychiatric institute for a while. The guy... Yeah. And his original name was Andreas Cornelis Dries um, Van Kuik. Okay. And so this guy is just, like, so not a Southern Tom Parker kind of guy. Anyway, I'm probably... Talking too much, but well, I I was gonna say, is did you weave him into your idiom explanation? Well, the um, what I'm trying to get to is that something he inspired me to do big in Japan. Yes,
0: okay, right, cool.
1: because he wouldn't let Elvis Presley tour internationally, and it's he
0: never played out of the United yeah, States. It does any that three times they mind. were in Canada,
1: and he drove over the border. That's oh, Canada. it, Canada, but never internationally or overseas, and so. He wanted to, he was dying to, and um, Colonel Tom Parker wouldn't let him. And so a lot of the theories are because he didn't have a real passport, he would have been arrested as soon as he landed on European soil. Um, he claimed that there wasn't enough security and he wasn't getting paid enough and that the that's just how stadiums weren't um, big enough. By the way,
0: if you haven't seen the movie yet, maybe don't listen to this episode. <laughs>
1: Why, wow, that's just the premise. No, I know I'm kidding. I'm no. kidding.
0: Like actually this is this is like stuff that you kinda looked up and yeah, they, won't, yeah. they, don't, they don't really talk about no, in you, the movie. No, you don't Which get like, a lot of his background. It's gonna make you think
1: people <laughs> like you're gonna even do more research. So because he wouldn't allow Elvis Presley to tour abroad, other American musicians and artists, like like rock and roll musicians, would go over there and they would tour and make a lot of money. And so in right. Japan uh, Elvis's contemporaries were were gaining all this international popularity um, because they were willing and able to yeah. tour abroad, yeah. where Elvis n- never could and never did. <sighs> but he could have, right? And so there's one one artist in particular, Neil Sedaka. So um, th- the next couple minutes this is going to be like a music history through big in Japan, like that's going to be the thing that connects all of these musicians and rock bands. But um, Neil Sadaka in particular was around in the 50s and he was like one of the first American acts to become big in Japan. He had like number one singles there. He recorded a song in Japanese, but it was like rock and rockabilly kind of stuff. Sweet. And so his his song One Way Ticket and like all the music kind of sounded like a train like a little bit. So there was like some...
0: That's very rockabilly. Yeah.
1: And uh, it reached number one on the pop charts in 1960. And so... Wait, here or in Japan? in japan that is so cool and it was never a hit single in america and so
0: interesting yeah
1: and so this ends up kind of being like this this first sort of moment we see of this idea of big in japan although no one was saying that phrase yet right so moving on in time there was a mu this magazine in japan called music life which started in the 50s and th- it was a japanese magazine dedicated to western music so if you were japanese Or like a Japanese teenager, like, how would you find out about what they're listening to in America and England? And so this magazine kind of was the source for that. Wow, that's brilliant. So you'd see like Queen on there and David Bowie and Frank Zappa, Kiss, The Beatles, and they would do exclusive interviews just for music life. Oh, wow. Because they knew it was like a a big deal and it was like helping sell records.
0: Dude, hell yeah. And plus, it's just like, Japan man, is so awesome. If somebody was like, "Uh, hey, Albert, could you do a personal favor for Japan? I'd be like, fuck yeah!
1: <laughs> like, I
0: <laughs> love Japan.
1: So in the 50s and 60s, um, a lot of bands were getting notoriety in Japan and maybe not getting it in America. Now, the first band to really um, be like, Basically, like, people were, like, going crazy over them was the Ventures. And they were that surf band. It was like... Hmm. there's like, that song Walk Don't Run. They did the Hawaii Five O song. Oh, okay. And they became huge. They outsold the Beatles in Japan by a ratio of two to one. Wow. So at the same time that the Beatles were around, the Ventures were doubling their sales of the Beatles.
0: Isn't it crazy? Because it's like, you know, you got, like, different cultures from different continents. And you would think like, I guess now it seems like, especially with like K-pop and J-pop mm-hmm. and all that yeah. sort of things is, and you know, how you you see uh, American pop songs, big other places mm-hmm. like, it almost seems like now it tends to follow suit. Like if it gets big in one, then like, it's like, oh, oh, they, they think it's popular. So it's right. like, so it's like, we should listen to that
1: too. But it also happens like a lightning bolt here now because now, the internet. Because,
0: right, that's yeah. what I mean. So it's funny how in the past it's like you know you identify with this like whole continent culture thing and this is what this continent says is the one mm-hmm. and it's like you don't know that over here like we say it's this one or yeah. that's a flop or whatever right like what a crazy collective consciousness thing because you know a lot of it's about just like it's popular because I say it's good you say it's good this yeah. guy it's good
1: and because uh, the radios play it every right. hour right yeah and things like that yeah or you're on the cover of Music Life and it's like oh we love that person where maybe like already washed up in america or something it's wow so the the ventures got so popular in japan they toured there every like three times a year and they made so much money girls would like go crazy like you know throw flowers at them and scream it was like it was kind of like beetle mania ventures.
0: so they're so innocent there <laughs> japan. it's
1: like but recently, they got—they um, all got awarded this this prestigious honor in Japan called the Order of the Rising Sun, and it's given by the emperor. And oh my each, god! Each of the members of the Ventures was recently given this honor, <laughs> and the only thing higher than it is the Order of the Chrysanthemum. But that's like only for royalty and military <laughs> leaders and politicians. That's
0: only for the emperor. <laughs>
1: Chrysanthemum. <laughs> So that's the that was the 60s and um so we had like uh that Nick is, I can't keep forgetting his last name Nick Sedakin fuck is he from the Ventures I have to just say can
0: you imagine the Ventures being like they're just like can you believe this shit we suck <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> and sure they're there like, are... rock gods in Japan like that's the best place to be a god of anything
1: Yeah it would be, uh, it'd be uh, feel really cool. Oh yeah. So we had Neil sadaka in the 50s, we had The Ventures in the 60s. And then in the 70s, Big in Japan was uh, a short-lived punk band in England. They were from yes. Liverpool and they just made a lot of noise and like were you know, were wild on stage. People actually tried to start a petition to force them to break up so they wouldn't play <laughs> shows anymore. <laughs>
0: force that to break up
1: <laughs> but uh, they all individually ended up being pretty um famous in other bands and they were part of like the echo and the bunny men scene yeah so that was this band big in japan and obviously they took their name because this was starting to enter the vernacular a little yeah, bit it's like a, you know? it's a concept now it's a concept right and then in the 70s Cheap Trick. You've probably heard of Cheap Trick. Rock and roll band.
0: Are you going to go my way?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want I know it's you to want me. Wait, that's Cheap I Trick? Need you need me. Yeah. Nice. And They also do that That's a one. good song. That's a great song. And they also do... Uh... Mommy's all right. Oh, yeah. Daddy's that was just right. on, on the way just to Pittsburgh. And I was like, I'll what is weird. going on in this song? It's a great song, though. So Cheap Trick were... They were a band, but they weren't really popular in America yet, or in Britain, and they happen to be like getting wildly popular in Japan. So they're like, "Eh, "No one cares about us here. Let's go! Let's go play a big stadium, and we'll play. We'll like record a live album." So there's this album called "At Budokan," and it was uh, recorded Mm -hmm. in 1978. And you sometimes can't hear the music because the screams are so loud, and You know, that could have never happened in America. Wow. When they released that, then they became famous in North America and Britain. See,
0: okay. And that's what I'm talking about. Like that kind of an idea of something getting huge in japan or in another country it's like it seems like it gets to us eventually and then like because it's like you know oh it's culture it's another country Like it's like (laughs) i gotta like what they like so that people think i'm smart yeah
1: exactly and
0: like that makes perfect sense like so cheap trick wouldn't have been cheap trick without japan falling in love with them first precisely that's bonkers. I did not know that.
1: It became the uh, their best-selling album in the US and they were number 4 on the Billboard charts because of this live album. That is crazy. So anyway, you've probably heard this version more often on the radio than the the actual studio version. Um that that uh Are they use the live version? I want version? you to want me. Yeah, the live version's usually what's on the radio. Oh, so pay how attention about to that. that. I was in Japan. Okay. All right, so that was in the 70s. And in the industry, Cheap Trick was kind of teased because they were like japan was usually where like bands went for a second chance yeah and so the fact that they were so popular over there they kind of like teased for that it's like oh you're big in japan that's not worth anything over here though because right. america is more important right you know so it's kind of condescending to the japanese and their taste and and also them as just consumers oh, yeah. yeah um
0: so, yeah but see i could totally see that be like Oh, we rock stars, we started in America first. Mm-hmm. And then, like, this guy's like, well, why start in Japan first? What's the big deal? It's like, yeah. that's the back door.
1: That's, that's where the poo goes. <laughs> yeah, it's the sentiment, exactly.
0: You know, and it's like, oh, come on, man. We're both rich and famous. Let's go. Let's party.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: People will find any way to draw lines, won't they? They will. Thank you
1: for saying that. It's an important message of today's episode. Even cool rock stars. Even cool rock stars. So in the 80s, there was this German synth pop group called Alphaville. You've probably heard their song um, Forever Young. Mm Mm-hmm which goes like... Um, so
0: many songs oh, that, man, that are I know. called Forever Young.
1: I, the Bob Dylan melody uh, immediately yeah. got in my head. I'm like,
0: shit. And then there's the Rod Stewart
1: one. Oh, I remember it. Forever young, I want to be forever young. Jay-Z
0: uses that sample that
1: one song. (laughs) So that was from 1984. It was by this German synth pop group called Alphaville. And they also have a song titled Big in Japan. And now this is the first time we're going to see it used metaphorically. It's It's not like literally they're more popular in Japan. So the song is basically about two drug addicts. And he said that the line had a certain meaning. It means that if you're a complete loser, you're telling other people, I'm not a loser because in Japan I'm really big. It's the lie of the loser and it fit perfectly into the story of these junkies, which the song is about in a very tragic way. So. Yeah, but junkies are so cool too, right? There's like, I don't give a fuck about society, baby. (laughs) I'm big in Japan. Boing. Don't do drugs.
0: (laughs) No, no. But like, come on. We know they don't. Like that's it. That's like a funny kind of like. Ah, dude, I'm big in Japan,
1: man. Right, like, right. It's
0: not like a little dork being like, "Well, like, actually, sir, I'm quite big in Japan."
1: <laughs> yeah, and so punks these, and junkies, man. These junkies think they're important. They think that they've, you know, served some well, sort that's of. That's the drugs, right? And that's an that's infa- inflated sense yeah. of self-importance. We're successful. No, you're not. <laughs> you're a loser.
0: We got the good part of the train tracks here. <laughs> Ding ding! Listen to that! Listen to that! Uh, ding 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 ding! We're the Train Track Boys.
1: <laughs> the Train Track Boys. <laughs> I think I know what today's song's gonna be. Oh no! That's gonna sound. That sounds like a lot of work for me.
0: <laughs> no, we'll just go down to the train tracks and we'll catch it live.
1: And we can make it sound like Tom Waits a little bit because Tom Waits is my the last musician I wanted to mention. Oh right! Nineties. I got. I, did, did you hear? I got 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. He is climbing the charts. I'm climbing the ch- the decades. Wow. And uh, this was kind of the first time I remember if you're ever hearing the, the phrase big in Japan because it's the first track off of Tom Waits' album, Mule Variations. And um, the, the basic, you know, he just kind of is saying all these, what do you want, to, what you call them? Um, he keeps like juxtaposing things like, I got the moon, I got the cheese. I got the whole damn nation on their knees. I got the rooster. I got the crow. I got the ebb. I got the flow. But hey, I'm big in Japan. Mm. I'm big in Japan. I'm big in Japan. So uh, Great song. Yeah. So that kind of brings it full circle for me. Um, You know, like it was used metaphorically in the 80s. And then Tom Waits, he's kind of poking fun at the the phrase big in Japan.
0: Yeah, Um, of course. He's always poking fun at everything.
1: You know, it's about... You know, people who can't work anywhere else but Japan, especially as musicians, and how we use that phrase to belittle them, and so he just kind of, like, works that into his lyrics as he does so eloquently.
0: Ah, and I feel like he's also making a joke about himself, too.
1: Right, sure. You know,
0: like, he's just like, he's like, I'm not really that popular, but I'm pretty popular, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't care about that kind of stuff. Uh, give me give me 10 cigarettes. <laughs> My name's Joe from the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> like he'll just like he's gone he tried it like I would love to be like yo Tom Waits tell me your address no no don't tell me that's tell me one thing anything yeah. Yeah. And, and don't make it
1: funny yeah. he's like I can't do that
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're killing me you
1: are killing me and interviewers did ask him about the lyrics like so what's this I'm big in Japan thing about and so I just wanted to read one quote from him because this is how he answered this of course I see myself in the harbor, ripping up the electrical towers, picking up cars, going in like Godzilla and leveling Tokyo. There are people that are big in Japan and are big nowhere else. It's like going to Mars. It's also kind of a junkyard of entertainment. You can go over there and find people you haven't heard of in 20 years that have moved over there and they're like gods. And then there are all those people that don't do any commercials. They have this classy image. And over there, they're hawking cigarettes, underwear, sushi, whiskey, sunglasses, used cars, beach blankets.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. He is the king. So someone
1: asked him about the lyric. And that's his. <laughs> and
0: answer. like the reporters just sitting there slack jaw like. Uh. Oh.
1: <laughs> um. Anyway, so that's that's kind of it. And then now we have Big in Japan. So it's kind of literal. Um, like I saw a, a recent article about this retro Brit soul band called Mama's Gun. They're not good, um unless you listen to this show in which they're they're pretty good. Wait, um, um but are they big in Japan? And they're from they're from England, but they're only popular in Japan. Oh, well, you know, they're like selling all they're like in two thousand and nine, their song was the number one international played song on the radio. Oh, but, my God, but they have no fans over here or not many fans.
0: Wow, we gotta go check this out,
1: yeah but uh you don't think any of them will hear this do you i just kind of said their band wasn't very good no
0: we said they're awesome
1: oh yeah like we're so like like that's awesome
0: we we fuck united states who cares we fuck fuck the united states sorry that's too much (laughs) but um man so much more respect for what's going on in japan
1: good what does
0: that have to do with anything? I would no. I would tell these guys
1: <laughs> uh, I was oh, like dude you oh,
0: you you're, you're a huge band in Japan that is the oh, coolest thing that. I've yeah, ever
1: heard It's pretty cool And my last thing small in Japan is a derivative phrase um originally used for ACDC, dc apparently they were called they referred to as small in Japan because they were like really famous in Europe and America <laughs> but not in Japan Japan didn't like it huh Yeah I guess not and that's been around since the early 80s and um yeah, and that's it. Small in Japan. Not as fun. Don't no. yeah, don't say that. I'm just I'm just letting you know that it exists. Whew. Sorry. Sorry, ACDC. Yeah, I think I think ACDC is doing just fine. Somebody
0: didn't want to be shook all night long, you know?
1: And we'll be back in black after this little break. Welcome back to Don't Be an Idiom. It's the podcast that just rocks and rolls around idiom origins. And sometimes the etymology of words just depends on the episode.
0: Really does. We'll just do what we want one day and something different the other day.
1: Next time we're doing a monster episode, I think.
0: whoop boo.
1: Those guys are so cool. They're cool. Yeah. Those monster dudes. Yes. The only monster podcast
0: only on planet Earth. The
1: internet. What's your idiom? Well, Ryan, sometimes
0: you, you you just have to go with Hobson's Choice, I
1: guess. <laughs> <laughs> Hobson's <laughs> Choice? <laughs> what? That is not an idiom. It
0: is. And I actually thought it was a really... Uh, I thought you were going to be like, this one's so obvious, everyone knows this one.
1: <laughs> I'm so glad you don't know it. Yeah, if you're in your car or doing the dishes or out for a walk or a jog, raise your hand if you've heard of Hobson's Hobson's Choice. Is it with a P? Hobson? Hob.
0: H-O-B-S-O-N. Hobson's Hobson's Choice. Choice. No,
1: I've never heard of this. (laughs) Really? I'm sure it's like, it's it's when something is, is the best choice for the best buck.
0: So actually, No. Hobson's choice is it's um it's the e- your choice is you t- either take what we give you or you get nothing. It's like a take it or leave it kind of thing, oh okay, so it's like uh be like, yep, yeah, here at m M&M and m world, we've got every color m M&M, and m but you can only have brown
1: mm-hmm. Hobson's choice, mm. yeah
0: <laughs> it's like it's like the illusion of choice,
1: yeah. It's like, this is a stapler store. We only sell staplers. They come in and they're like, well, can I get a they, a printer? And you're like, oh, we can sell staplers, Hobson's uh, Choice. Hobbs and Choice. Wait, it's know. a little different than
0: that. <laughs> it would be like a stapler store where they have so many different types of staplers. Yeah, And they're like, we got great selection here, but you can only get A95. That's it. Hobson's Choice. Oh, uh, okay. It's It's your choice is you can choose to get something or nothing
1: okay yeah, yeah. okay so i'm going to guess where this is from
0: <laughs>
1: I'm not excited about this one
0: <laughs> well you scared me to death i was like
1: <laughs> okay so i think i have a guess here i'm just going to roll with it see what happens go all right the gold rush 1800s, we're out west in America, and we're way high up in Northern California, mm. almost on the border of Oregon, and uh, in the the most popular town that was over there, that's mm-hmm. still there today, You, I think we all know what, what that's called. Oh, we called. know. <laughs> um, Isn't
0: there like a s- silver something town? Uh, yeah. Isn't there like a popular... Silver Spring. Yes, yeah, nice. Silver. It's like, it's like Silver Dollar Land or Silver something? Silver
1: Dollar Land. <laughs> so in Silver Dollar Land, California, um, John Hobson had a store called Jewels, Stones for Everyone's. <laughs> <laughs> for every, everyone. Everyone's. Everyone's. And here he offered a, a wide array of different interesting jewels and precious stones, mm-hmm. and some of them maybe were imported from the east or maybe that he maybe he dug them up right in his his 10 acre property that he that he bought with a nickel and a peanut and <laughs> simpler times simpler times <laughs> and uh John Hobson was uh he you know he ran the business he he was also the cashier, he was.
0: Well, yeah, you don't want to pay a separate cashier. You pay no, like, yourself. You pay you go. yourself. Like, Good to see you tonight, Billy. I'm, oh, I love you, Mr. Hobson.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, rich fellas uh, would come to, to Hobson's, hard, uh, Hobson's store and they would be like, it's, do you have like any emeralds? And he'd be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I, got some... Ooh, I got some emeralds for you. <laughs> And he'd slap his bell. <laughs> <laughs> it always smelled like chili because he was—he's was, always was cooking chili oh, in the back, yeah, dude. in the back room. He's
0: like, "I'll put a couple of gems in the chili."
1: And uh, so he just keeps staring at this rich guy in this rich guy's eyes, and he's like, "And the guy's like, oh, well, can you, you get some?' I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm putting together something for my wife, and you know, I need some emeralds." And he just keeps staring in his eyes, like, "Got fool's gold." <laughs> <laughs> and the guy looks down and sees that there's there's all this fool's gold. Oh yeah, for you know different prices depending on the size. And he's like, uh, no, no, thank you. Um, well, how about like a ruby? The ruby's like, we got rubies, we got rubies. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, I guess I can do some of those. And he's like, yeah, well, I give you choice, give you choice here. <laughs> I could not give you rubies where you could buy this fool's gold. <laughs> Perfectly good fool's gold. It doesn't make you a fool by buying it. It's just called fool's gold. Yeah. And uh, the guy didn't really know what to do. And um, John Hobson looked really aggressive. He had crazy eyes. (laughs) He's like, I've been eating gem chili for 17 (laughs) days. And he just kind of became famous around... uh, Around... um, that town.
0: Wait. So did the guy buy it? He bought it. He right? ended up buying it just oh, to yeah. kind of get out of
1: there without yeah. any problems. But uh he just became famous for only selling fool's gold, but saying you know you can get anything here. But like you know, but you gotta. I'm gonna buy, need, you, I'm to gonna buy need to buy you to buy this fool's gold because I uh, there's actually nothing else for you to buy. But I've got the I've got the stuff. <laughs> this is my
0: shit. All right.
1: <laughs> These are my emeralds. I'm not selling them to you. I'll sell you the fool's gold. I name everyone. They're all very, very... They have different personalities. Just how you pull it to the light. Pull it to the light. Anyway, well, anyway that, that's great that's Great, great guest, man.
0: Oh, Dude, I would have never guessed that. Okay. Uh, but it is wrong. But I think you got a feeling for the sentiment. Okay. Uh, a
1: bit, you know. Good, because that was taking me a while, actually.
0: No, I think I think it's good. So there's a popular folk etymology with this uh, okay. with this one, and uh, there was a man named Thomas Hobson, mm-hmm. and it was close. You were. You, I know. Actually, for a second, I was going to be like, "You got it," <laughs> but uh, you said like John Paul Revere or something. No, I didn't
1: say that. Okay, so Thomas.
0: Yeah, so at the turn of the 17th century, he was he was had horses, and he would run the post uh, between Cambridge and London. Mm-hmm. He also was an innkeeper, and when his horses weren't out delivering mail, he was like, "These horses are just standing around eating grass and shit, whatever they." Eat. And I should be like, you know, getting some more miles out of this yeah. thing, right? So he's like. I got it. old hobby. You're gonna rent the horses to uh, like the college students Mm -hmm. because it's like you know they don't have easy transportation. Yeah, they're like woo joyride. Yeah, Um, so you got to remember these kids are kids. They're little shits probably. They're (laughs) little rich fucking shits. Uh So they're always like, hey Abby, give me that. uh, Give me the fast one. I want the fast one. That's gonna really. That's gonna really impress Sweet Marie. Uh You know, and then. He's like, hobby's not doing nothing you want no more, rich boy. Right. So he, what he did was he was like, look, I've got great horses here. You can have the one by the door, mm-hmm. great horses by the door, right. always <laughs> by the door. Cause what he did was he wanted to make sure none of his best horses got exhausted. Yeah. So they're in the rotation. It's not yeah, like he's keeping out. Yeah, yeah. but he just, he always, the, the, the horse that has been the least ridden will go next. So that way they all get rest. And they're all taken well care of.
1: Okay. And I can't... This is so surprising. What year is this? Uh,
0: well, so it says... So Thomas Hobson lived from 1545 to 1631. Oh, shit.
1: This is a long time ago.
0: Yeah. So um, that's the thing. They said right around, you know, 1600 is when he was... He had a really good collection of... And which city was this happening? Of, uh, Well, so they were in Cambridge. England. Cambridge. Okay. Yeah. England. Okay. Yeah.
1: Alright, so so his name's getting popular, it's getting thrown around.
0: Yeah, people know him and they know he's shrewd but fair, you know? Mm-hmm. And another thing that I didn't know about, because like horse rental wasn't, that, that's, that people do it. He mm-hmm. just had the, he had the good system. Mm-hmm. And you know what else he sold, or I guess rented or whatever, boots, brindles and whips ready to go out the door. You don't gotta go, you don't gotta go get them, borrow them from a friend or next guy.
1: He's got you covered.
0: Apparently that was a big deal.
1: I mean, like, because anyone could have just taken it. Boom, boom! boom, You got to have it. Yeah, Yeah,
0: I know, but I think they were afraid. Like, they were like, "He's gonna get us."
1: Yeah, he knows because he's a shrewd businessman. Shrewd businessman.
0: All right, so that is this guy. The way he did it—that's that's the popular belief about about how this came to be. Now, in. 1712 in there was a letter that was printed in the spectator written by hezekiah thrift mm-hmm. and he basically what i just the story i just told you he basically wrote it all out He like the
1: first person to kind of flourishes. write it down
0: well he i think he was the first to write his story okay, down. Yeah. yeah but also use the term hobson's choice and so I already told you basically what he said, but I thought it was kind of funny because he, I think he kind of loved Hobson's, like uh-huh. it, it seems like he might have known him or something like that.
1: But, but he, you said this is 200 years apart.
0: Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he felt like he knew him. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Like he admired him. huh. <laughs> that's what I meant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so he made mention after the story that there is a um, there's a fresco at an inn that he used to drink at in Bishop's on Bishopsgate Street mm-hmm. and in the picture he's holding a 100 a pound bag under his arm and the the inscription on it says the fruitful mother of a hundred more and I was like
1: mother <laughs> is he the mother or is the bag he's holding the mother you
0: want to see a picture of it yeah Check this dude out. He's like, give me that
1: money, boy. I wasn't expecting him to look so old.
0: He had a long, good career. He's well fed.
1: Yeah, he looks...
0: Don't be snatching up my money pouch, boy. I'll
1: give you a a taste of the old hobby. Perfect Cambridge accent.
0: Dude is shrewd. But anyway, so... This is like pretty much believed, like this is where it all comes from. But uh, there's some sticklers that don't Aren't into that. They idea. don't really think so. So, as Ryan mentioned, because I got I don't understand time. Hezekiah Thrift's letter that was printed that was 80 years after his death. Okay. So you know, even though he's using the phrase, then. Um, there was signs of it earlier than that. Yeah. He's kind of like telling his whole story. Yeah. It's not just the the idiom. You know I got I mean? that, yeah. So here's the deal. The OED says that the first written usage of the phrase was this thing called the rustic's alarm to the rabbis. Samuel Fisher, 1660. And here's what we got. Uh, if in this case there be no other, as the proverb is, then Hobson's choice, which is, choose whether you will have this, or none. So that's back to like 1660, right? Which yeah. is a little bit after his death, right?
1: Yeah. So we're getting an explanation of what it means. Right. Now,
0: there's this okay, so these merchants in Japan, there's a letter um, from 1614 where one of them, uh, this guy Richard Wickham, says, I would put him to Hudson's choice.
1: But so, is that just a, I mean, it's just a mistake?
0: Maybe. But I, I there's a, there's another possible explanation. Let me let me let me get you back a little bit more. So then there's this other letter. By the way, it's like when the first sources are letters, it's just not as tasty, you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. It's like it's a letter. I could write you a letter that says, "Hi, I'm a big dumb idiot." <laughs> and it's like I said it first. And people
1: 100 years from now will look back at yeah. the letter and go, "This yeah. man was an idiot." <laughs> yeah.
0: He was a truly great man. <laughs> All right, there's one more from this guy called Richard Cox, and it's in 1670, 1670, and he says, once we are put to Hodgson's choice to take us such privileges as they will give us or else go without. So there is a theory that there has been something that's either Hopkins, Hodgkins, Hodgson's, that has been around for kind of longer than than um, Hobson existed. Yeah, and that it could have become a back formation once you had this good, neat and tidy story about the guy who's choosy about oh, his horses. Oh, sure. Yeah, right. so it's kind of like this thing. It's like oh, Hobson's choice. That reminds me, of Hobbs, Ha, huh? Huds, Hobson's choice. You're the guy. You're the <laughs> yeah. guy. Yeah. Because yeah, I yeah. don't know where I heard it.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. And that's called a back. That's called a back formation. Back formation. The
0: thing exists, and then yeah, like somebody creates it later and then they relate it to the thing. They attribute like, that yeah, and it, yeah.
1: To the new thing. Okay. Yeah.
0: So that's a real thing, a bag formation. Cool. And also you can say Hobson's choice uh, that's in Cockney uh, that means voice. Hobson's Choice Voice. You're talking about... Right. The if you haven't, if slang. If you haven't gotten yourself a cock, Cockney rhyming slang dictionary yet... What are you doing? Go get go get one. Right. Create... A, not have, you don't even have to create. They did it for you. Go and learn it with a friend.
1: And enjoy. And
0: outsmart the coppers and flip nickels and, you know, holes in the shoes. Bang, bang, boom.
1: I wonder if there's Duolingo for Cockney. <laughs> Dude, we should do that. Too much work. Uh, Ugh, programming. Cool. All right. So what else?
0: So that is basically the story. Uh, so here's the thing: the story of of Thomas Hobson is what's believed. Again, there are some sticklers. Like, there's this guy that has this it, this site out there. It's called Word Histories. Have you ever seen him? It's got a bridge. I think so. Yeah. It's a bridge, right? Yeah. Okay, he's great. Like, and he you could tell he is a stickler because he's like <laughs> this thing at the bottom of his page, and he's like, these are the. Uh, word origins that I've debunked from the OED he's got a list and I read them and I'm like dude I used him for some of the white elephant stuff that I did a while back and I'm like I gotta check with him because if I F up on his info I feel like (laughs) he's he's coming coming for for me (laughs) Um, so he's he's the type of guy he's got some stuff in here about how he's like even though this is the popular answer I believe that it's like a um, corruption of something earlier but we don't have the smoking gun.
1: No smoking gun. So you need that. Like no body, no right. murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome.
0: All right. So just got a couple teeny little fun facts for you here. One of the um, very popular uh, Hud- Hudson's Choice, Hobson's Choice. <laughs> Sayings was when Henry Ford put out the Model T. He said, uh, You can have any color you like as long as it's black. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that sweet? He's like, Yeah, I just invented the first fucking car. I want to think about the fucking paint, dude. I'm Henry Ford. (laughs) (laughs) Give me a 10 foot cigar. (laughs) Dude, how are you, Henry Ford? Like, seriously, like, that dude is just like, I just. I just changed the effing world, baby. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, he did.
0: Fucking cars. Yeah. It's crazy. Cars, yeah.
1: planes, and in the internet. Boom, bang, bang.
0: <laughs> All right. So uh, so I was looking up some other uh, phrases that kind of had like a similar vibe to Hobson's mm-hmm. Choice, some choice phrases or whatever. So there's this one called Buggins' Turn. You ever heard of Buggins' Turn? No,
1: Albert, I haven't.
0: Okay. So it's like a British <laughs> thing. And it's a method of appointing people to positions in government by rotation rather than merit. So oh, they're just like they're like that. They're just like all right, next, like you're going up. Like we're not playing favorites. We're, we're British. We're we're <laughs> p- we're just being nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. That's what the British are known for. They're just like <laughs> just being nice. They're like,
0: listen, we don't want to yeah. get into your personal life. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want to tell you about my personal life.
1: And so you're gonna get this promotion. So you're next. next. Are, you're
0: next. Next. <laughs>
1: All right. That, what's so, next?
0: And there's another way that the British say it, which is the man on the Clapham omnibus. It, it basically means you're a regular Joe. You're you're just Joe Schmo. Yeah, is the uh,
1: Clapham omnibus it's the man a, a on the Clapham omnibus? Very yes, normal it's neighborhood. neighborhood.
0: It's like saying John Smith. Mm-hmm. All right. Now. Here's where, when I first heard Hobson's Choice, I thought that I was thinking of a different phrase, which mm-hmm. is Sophie's Choice. Sophie's now, Choice. Now, you're familiar with Sophie's Choice? Yeah, I'm familiar Perhaps. with Sophie's Choice. All right, well, for those of you who are not familiar with Sophie's Choice, like, here's how, like, look, I'm this kind of person. I know about it from a Always Sunny in Philadelphia Um reference. Mm-hmm. But it's it's this um novel about a uh Nazi concentration camp. This Polish woman is forced to tw- uh, choose between which child lives and which one dies. Yikes, so yeah. that's a Sophie's choice. It's like a both choices are, are bad, yeah. yeah. So, um Sophie's choice is another type of a choice and the last one that I have
1: here. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely you, wrapped you don't up want there to get those end. mixed up those too. I want to make sure people yeah. keep them
0: straight as an arrow. Yeah, we got All it. All right. So there's this word called Zugzwang.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Zugzwang. And it's a it's a German word, and it's a basically when you get in a position in like a chess game or any kind mm-hmm. of like a turn based game where you are put at a disadvantage because it's your turn to move. Yeah. So it's like you're just like damn it, like, right. if I do this, he's going to take my my king. If I do this, he's going to take my king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, so that's called a Zugzwang.
1: Oh, it's kind of like Sophie's Choice. Like, either way, it's yes. going to be bad for me. Yes,
0: it is. It's a lot like Sophie's Choice, right? And it's like, but if you're the player that's not going, mm-hmm. then you're not in the Zugzwang. Oh,
1: yeah. um, exactly.
0: And you're all like, I'm on easy street, baby. <laughs> <laughs> bam <bow, bow>, down. <laughs> <laughs> bam, 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 bam. Nice. This guy's gonna fuck it up. Damn, Man, easy I'm street. rarely in that position in life, ever. Uh, you,
1: I've <laughs> seen you in that a couple times. But.
0: <laughs> Wait, is the cool guy?
1: Yeah, it's easy street oh, guy. Oh, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sunglasses on. <laughs> You're like, I got all the right choices right here in front of me. Yeah. Unlike these losers. <laughs>
0: so that's a Zugzwang. And you know what? That is the the rap on Hobson's Choice, but I forgot, right, I brought one other picture of Hobson, and he's like, oh, look at me on my fucking horse. <laughs> look, it's <this> a stupid cart.
1: <laughs> Thank you. We'll get those up on <laughs> he the... He uh... looks
0: silly. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Don't be riding that cart too busy now, boy.
1: <laughs> we'll get that up on the Instagram ASAP. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Don't Be an Idiom. Next week, I think we're going to be doing a Doobie a Monster episode. So, if you, if you dig those, you're going to be a happy little critter.
0: And if you don't dig them, why don't you hit yourself with a hammer and get on
1: the bus? <laughs> Alright, I hear the countdown. So, please, Tim. you must email. Damn <laughs> it! No cuts! Fuck. I hear the countdown. So, one. If you would like sure. to get in touch with us, email us at don'tbeanidium at gmail.com. Check out our band camp if you'd like to purchase some merch or check out our end of episode songs. And until next time, don't, don't be, be an, an idiot. idiot.